Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1066. If you want it bad enough and you're willing to work for it, two components. You got to wish, but you got to work. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Carson Lev. Hey, Carson, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Got my six-point on and my Hans device. All right. Well, I'll try to make sure I keep it between the lines so we don't need any of that safety gear. <laughs> All right? I'll, t- I'll treat you well on our ride today. Carson Lev is the founder of Redfin Productions, a licensing and marketing agency specializing in the automotive industry. Along with his son, Aaron, their daily focus is the exclusive management of the brands and trademarks owned by some of the biggest companies and celebrity names in the automotive world. Their services include marketing programs to conceptual design work. Growing up in Southern California, Lev was immersed in the hot rod car culture. His early career included biomedical product development, computer technology, and automotive design and manufacturing. His client list, though, is vast and includes many international brands and accomplished builders and designers. Carson was hosted and has been featured on numerous hot rod automotive-related television shows, radio programs. He was inducted into the inaugural class for the Diecast Hall of Fame in 2008 and was recognized as a distinguished alumni by California State University, Long Beach. So, Carson, I've told our listeners just a little bit about your immense career. Could you take a moment to share a little bit more about that career and a very obvious passion for automobiles? Yeah, I mean, I had the passion early. I was lucky to have been born in the Southern California area amongst the uh, you know, Long Beach Lakewood area where it was, you know, drag racers, builders, welders, fabricators, you know, guys who did the graphics on the bodies and painted and a huge influence on me. My family doctor had a Dino Ferrari. So early on, I thought oh, I needed a Dino. Yeah. So I started, I pursued a pre-med uh, curriculum. My family doctor took me on rounds and showed me that that was the wrong choice. <laughs> but I ended up getting a degree in biomedical product development but I always had passion for cars. I always had hot rods and cars in the garage. I did a lot of lettering and striping and graphics. I mean, like I said, my early years were hanging out in shops. So through the course of a career, it shifted from biomedical technology and product development uh, to marketing and product design and development for companies like Dixie Pick, and then later went to work for Mattel and then later started my own business. So it's kind of a, a wandering path that only makes sense when you get to the end and look back because I wouldn't recommend anybody, you know, step that wide across <laughs> the career path back and forth. Yeah, well, it's cool that you've done so many different things, very rounded life. And as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that's been important to you. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Carson, take the wheel. Yeah, I was really lucky to have a lot of guys who mentored me from the automotive world. But one of the most important guys in my life was a, a gymnastic coach I had who was also a teacher at the high school. And he was the first one to introduce me to the idea that you can have anything you want in life if you're willing to work hard enough for it. Mm. When he first said that to me, I laughed and I said, oh, that's what coaches say so they can fill their uh, trophy cases up. And he <laughs> said, no. And so he was the first one to kind of show me the structure of dreams and wishes, how to put them into actionable items, how to put it into bite-sized chunks. And I'll say his name, his name is Bob Carragher. Yeah, um, great. Mr. Carragher is just a phenomenal guy. I still seek his, his guidance. So, yeah. If you want it bad enough, you're willing to work for it. Two components. You got to wish, but you got to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when we have coaches and people like that in our lives at an early point, we really are blessed because 
Lots yeah. of people don't. They're not surrounded by the right yeah. people. They don't surround themselves yeah. with the right people. Yeah. And, you know, I always say we are the culmination of the folks we hang around with. So you were very fortunate. I just said that the other day that I'm the sum total of all the guys. I grew up without a dad. My dad died early. And so oh. I was probably hungry for that male influence. Yeah. So, you know, I had guys like Wally Parks and Ed Roth and all kinds of guys. Really, wow. Yeah. Some, some total really added up to, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed. Yeah, very, very much so. Let's talk about a story that instigated your personal passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment when you think back in your life that you knew you were indeed a car guy? <laughs> well, I mean, I would get on my bike and you know, lived in Long Beach, and I could ride up to Lakewood where Ed Roth was doing a little guest appearance at Big Daddy Roth and hang out at his shop, and he was a huge influence on me. I had multiple. I mean, I don't know if I had just one. I had multiple things happening, but I mean, Ed Roth was the first guy to really kind of instill in me that car passion as it extends outward from personality and not something you just did and, you know, read magazines, put them on the shelf, but lived it. And he also was instrumental in me in kind of understanding that it's okay to be different. He said, look at me, I'm a grown man. I draw monsters for a living. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I grew up a little insecure and different because of my dad's death and just yeah. other family dynamics. And he was the first one to kind of say, look, you know, embrace those differences. It's okay to be, you know, a little out there. And he, I think he was the one who if he didn't say it, well, I took the quote and rephrased it, but uh, normalcy is mediocrity. And so I, I tend to live by that. He he was and there was multiple other ones from Wally Parks and uh, working at Hot Wheels, multiple things that happened yeah. um, that people were really instrumental in, you know, events that happened, you know, going taking the twin mill at SEMA, which we'll talk about later. But yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm a little jealous because I grew up in the same kind of area as you. I grew up in Southern California as well. I built all those big daddy Ed Roth models, the rat fink and all that. In fact, I used to paint rat things on my friend's bikes for a few bucks. That's how I made a few bucks when there I was go. little. And mm-hmm. I met Ed, Rod, Ed Roth at a car show my dad took me to up in, I think it was in Long Beach. I was little. I mean, I was like eight, eight years old, I think, or something. But here's a weird coincidence. Yesterday, I had Sammy Hagar's son, Aaron, on my show. And when I asked him the question about who would you like to sit down and talk to, he said, Roth. <laughs> Which makes sense with he what did, he yeah. does. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that a weird coincidence? He's one of the most interesting guys ever because I hung out at his shop a lot, and he was very introspective. He was very well-read. He had really obtuse, weird ideas, but he could back them up with his reading. And so ah. I was kind of a quiet kid, but he drew it out of me. In fact, one time in the shop, he was putting gold leaf on the Druid Princess, and he said, you know, kid, you don't talk much. You need to learn to communicate. Mm. He said, let's talk about something. I think I was 12, and he said to me, let's talk about something we don't like, something we don't like about ourselves. He goes, I'll go first. I got a giant nose and I got giant hands because I can't do any fine motor work. And my nose is in the room a half hour before. I am. <laughs> and I laughed. He said, okay, your turn. And at that time I was, you know, I grew up in the fifties. So everybody was named Bob and Joe and Fred and yeah. Mike. And my name was Carson. You know, that was not a popular, it is now, but sure. I, myself, yeah. Yeah, I was Carson before Carson was cool. Yeah. But uh, I said, I didn't like my name. And he stopped and looked at me and he said, you know, I'm going to tell you something. That's probably the coolest thing about you. He goes, and that's when he gave his idea about being normal as being mediocre. Nice. He said, you need to do what I do on a car. I take the part that I don't like the most that I hate. And I work on it so much. That it's the part I love. He goes, uh, you need to do that. And, yeah. and I was thrilled years later because I kept in close contact with him all through the years and even found him at Knott's Berry Farm painting signs in the back when he tried to hide. Um, but I <laughs> brought him back to Hot Wheels and we did Hot Wheels work with him again, which was a nice kind of starting as my youth and coming back and bringing yeah. him in you know, when I was, and you know, Ed had his issues and he had his concerns and he had his troubles, but you know, he was always a great guy to me. Wow. What a fortunate thing that happened to you in your life. And what a nice man to take you under his wing and offer mm-hmm. you really yeah. fatherly guidance that 
incredibly invaluable words of wisdom. I mean, oh, yeah. just, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I, I thank you for sharing that about him because I never knew the man. I always thought of him as this wild, wacky guy and, and not very introspective and, and, and as clear as you define him there. So, wow, what a nice story. Thank you for sharing that. Let's take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down because I think you've probably faced a lot of challenges and maybe a failure or two along the way that taught you a really valuable lesson because of all the different twists and turns that your career has taken. And of course, the most important part of this talk here is what did that that failure or that challenge teach you? Because we learned so much from those things, kind of like what uh, Ed Roth taught you about taking the hardest part of something and making it the best. Yeah. 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 So talk us through one well, of those, um, would you? You know, tenacity and passion sometimes can be looked at as being, you know, blind and ignorant, ignorant. But, you know, <laughs> if they're focused, right, they can be looking at good skill sets. I was very, was very tenacious as a kid, was very focused, but I was like a sponge. I wanted to absorb as much as I could. But, I mean, I had my fair share of failures and things that went wrong. And and I always remembered one of my coaches said, look, when, when there's the end of the Super Bowl, the end of the f- a football or baseball game, there's two results. One loses and one wins. One, and I've remembered this ever since, one group is in the locker room pouring champagne on their heads, and the other guys are in the other room studying films and figuring out how they can be better. Mm. Try to win the way a loser looks at it. Yeah. You know, celebrate it, yeah. enjoy it, yeah. but be, don't be so you know, exorbitant in your celebration that you, you know, forget the fact that it's a learning process. And so I've always tried to be – I'm funny. I'm a right-brain, left-brain guy. That's another whole story about starting out <laughs> pre-med and then going into design. Yeah. But – it's a combination of the two that you need. You need both the passion, you know, the, the lateral design part, but you need a linear mechanical background too, I think. And so mm-hmm. I've always looked at it on both components, but yeah, I've, you know, I've had a few things that blew up and things that broke and things that went wrong. And, you know, you got to pull back and look at it, be analytical. You got to be honest. You really got to be honest. And then also another thing is you've got to really be willing to take advice and listen to people, even when it scares you, yeah. even when it makes you think, oh my gosh. I've got so many things that I've done that just scared the crap out of me. One was going to drag racing school and my friends let me drive their top fuel dragster. And that was as much as I always wanted to do it. It was scary as hell. I burned up a clutch real nice. My first time, Oh, was, you know, a $5,000 yeah. mistake. Ouch. So, uh, you got to get through it and you just got to keep moving forward and, and be willing to adjust your plan. Yeah. Keep pedaling. Well, how about a aha moment in your career? And it sounds to me like you've had a few of these where you said, ah, that's the direction I need to go. That's the path I need to turn down. Tell us about one that really turned out great. I'll give two different components of different things that happened when I was in the medical field and designing CT scanners. Um, I was introduced by my boss to the, the concept of licensing. We had Toshiba that wanted to license a product, a CT scanner. I'd been on the design team. And I said, I don't know anything about licensing. He said, well, licensing basically protects all the intellectual property rights, all the patent rights. And those, a lot of those came from you because we had patents and designs on this thing. And so I learned that aspect of it. And, and I later took that when I went to work at Mattel. And so the big aha moment was we were, when I left technology, I, I, went, I did medicine, I did technology, I did some automotive work, and then I went to Mattel on the technology side. And uh, when I first went there, I was working for the Disney Entertainment Group. Um, I was in charge of all engineering for worldwide product development for everything for a Disney movie. But I was waiting for that Hot Wheels job to open up, just waiting. And so I went in for the interview. I knew the guy, and I'd kind of been recruited to do it. Larry Wood, who's Mr. Hot Wheels, asked me to come over to that group. That's pretty cool, being recruited by Larry Wood to be a boss. Yeah. So during the interview process uh, for being director of design for the Hot Wheels collector business and, you know, the die cast stuff, John Handy, the, the president there, vice president, said, do you have any other questions? I said, yeah, whatever happened to the twin mill? The twin mill was a two-engine car that yeah. was first built. 
as a toy car. It was the first originally Hot Wheels designed car other than Barracudas and Camaros. It was an original design designed by Ira Guilford. So it's a custom. Mm-hmm. It had started at Boyd's when Boyd went bankrupt. It was quickly gathered up and put in the back and sat there in the back under our tarp for a year and a half and was rusting away. Wow. And so I said, look, this thing, you know, is just rusting. That's our whole, you know, the beginning point of Hot Wheels being a you know toy company and being car culture. I went to this big impassioned speech. So he said, okay, it's your project. You get to finish it. Nice. Well, the aha moment was other than trying to figure out how you finish it without a budget, which is another <laughs> story. Yeah. Um, we got it done. And I, Chip Foose is a good friend of mine, and we represent him. He's been friends forever. Helped me get the car finished. Anyway, the big oh, yeah. moment was we wanted to take the car to SEMA. And everybody at Hot Wheels laughed at me, and they said, you know, SEMA's a car show. We're a toy company. And I said, yeah, we may be a toy company, but we're the world's coolest car company. Oh, yes. We make more cars in a year than all the other guys make combined. Let's go there tongue-in-cheek with that car the twin mill, this big two motored car uh-huh. and around it, let's put clothing and car parts and wrenches and, and motor oil and car wax and wheels and tires as, the, as if we make all this stuff. And as if we're the definition of cool, kind of tongue in cheek, yeah. but let's do it promote our, to promote our brand. It really was an attempt at lifestyle marketing, not product marketing. Right. So we show up at SEMA and all my friends start coming out of the woodwork saying, God, we knew you ran design, but we didn't know you're doing licensing. No, these are just props. Well, I'll license that wheel design right there. One of your guys did <laughs> I had all the guys at the Hot Wheels design staff design products for me, and we mm. built prototypes and put them on display. Well, came back from Mattel, I was running licensing. I ran adult licensing for them for all the you know enthusiast side of the business. Yeah. The aha moment was, I knew there was something there from passion, and from that passion, I was able to build a business out of it. I've always said that I'm more of an entrepreneur than an entrepreneur. Ah. I build businesses from within businesses. Cool. So that was the big aha moment that there is something there in that brand and there is something in car passion that can be expressed and people will buy it what a cool story i still have my twin mill hot wheels car (laughs) yeah i think i have them all yeah we just had our 50th legend kickoff party at the mattel headquarters and i got to reunite with a great friend of mine uh, ira guilford who designed that car wow and had some pictures and we did a history channel interview for them and it's Uh, funny another point of connection is ira's son is a guy named darren guilford who's a production designer worked on star wars and a bunch of other movies uh darren guilford's classmate at art center was chip foose my uh, best okay. friend and client okay darren guilford's son is named carson oh my gosh wow so we have this really woven kind of fun background between all of us yeah how cool is that ah awesome awesome well let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special car what was that vehicle and what's a great memory you have about it Oh, gosh. My, well, my very, very first car was a 62 Ford Fairlane 500 that I shared with my sister. Okay. My mom's former car. She got a new Monte Carlo in 71, and my sister and I bought that. I had that car for about three or four months. It was cool, though, because it, it was a 289, but it had a Rochester four-barrel on it, Ooh. which was, you know, I think, the, you know, 289, you couldn't stuff enough gas in there. Just, you know, right. it was not the most efficient motor, but gas was, what, 28 cents a gallon? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Uh-huh. So I sold that. Uh, my sister, to my sister, she had sole ownership of it. And I bought a 65 Mustang from uh, a lady down the street whose um, son was uh, over in the military in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to buy a uh, Chevelle when he came back. And so they sold that car. Cool. The cool thing is we found out later that that car was originally delivered to Shelby Motors as a mule car. It was not worked on. But when they first started doing the Mustangs, it was oh, one of the cars that was first goodness. sent there, wow. which was kind of fun. So, I mean, there was... The story was there were 22 of these cars that got sent to Shelby on Aviation Boulevard and that only 17 of them got worked on. You know, they, they do what I think it's called homogulation or whatever it's called. Right. I'm uh-huh. sure it's still roadworthy. Right. So no work was done on it. So it sat out in the front for sale. And this guy was a baggage handler at L.A. Airport. Anyway, he bought the car. He got tired of it. He went to Vietnam. I bought the car. <laughs> wow. Nice. 
You wouldn't happen to still have that car, would you? I wish. You know, I sold that car, being practically minded. I sold that car in 73 because I was doing a bunch of race car lettering, graphics, boat lettering, signs as I was in college. Mm -hmm. And I needed a truck. So I bought a little 73 Chevy short bed and I sold the Mustang. And it's funny, I didn't realize that car had the history until the day I sold it. And I pulled out the envelope that the lady gave me when I got the car. And sure enough, here's all these delivery papers to sell them. Like, what is this stuff? I mean, again, the car was not touched. It wasn't touched by Shelby. It was just one of the ones they took on. Because the goal with Shelby was the Mustang was uh, used as a secretary's car, and they wanted to turn it into a performance car. Of course. Of course. Wow. So anyway, I bought a 73 Chevy truck. I should have kept that truck, too, because, you know, you know a little short bed, square body. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, trucks are all a hot rage. So. Well, we all have those stories, and that leads me to my next question, your biggest seller's remorse story. Is there one that stands out for you? I can almost say every car, <laughs> yeah. the Mustang, the 73 Chevy short pit. Now it's funny. The first thing I did on that was put us mags on it and lower it. And that was in 73. Uh-huh. And my friends all said, dude, you're not a low rider. Trucks are low riders, but it just looked better lower down. You know, if I took the, right. the overload spring out of the back and heated the coils because there weren't drop spindles in those days. Mm-hmm. So that one, um, I've had a couple of Impala SSs, the, the 95 and 96 ones that I had a bunch of motor work done, suspension work done on. Those were great cars. Yeah, I mean, almost, gosh, almost every, almost every car I've ever had. You know, we don't, we don't want to sell any of them, but you got to do it to get to the next one. Of course. Yeah, of course. Well, don't worry, Carson, because I've had 1,065 stories before yours that uh, brought a little tear to people's <laughs> eyes. So you were all in the same basket as car guys. Well, let's talk about Redfin Productions. I would love for you to share a little bit more to my listeners about your company, what you do, what has you excited and fired up? You know, we're blessed in this industry that we get to work with. I get to work with some of my best friends and in industry icons. And it started early on in my passion for car things. And then later, you know, being able to, like I talked about the reuniting of, of Ed Roth, when I, you know, met him as a kid, hung out at the shop as a kid, and then later at Hot Wheels, got to bring him back into the brand. And, you know, people like Wally Parks and NHRA, but our, our business is an automotive-based, basically brand management uh, company. So we're, if a baseball player has a sports agent, we're a little better version of that because we don't pull our players off the field. But we represent their brand. We represent them for TV, for TV negotiations, for licensing, for sponsorship, for really brand management. Meaning, what should the brand be doing? What products and programs should we be associated with? What's consistent with the brand values? And so we help them get licensing deals, sponsorship deals. But rather than being a passive agent that waits for things to come to us, we really work on the image and the brand of our, our clients. And so we work with Chip Boost and Overhauling and West Coast Customs and RMD Garage, and we've done work for... Um, big clients like Ford and Oakley and National Hot Rod Association. And we have a longstanding client within a, NBC Universal for Fast and Furious. We've worked with them on since movie three on licensing, branding, design work, sponsorship programs, all just every version of it. So we're we're very fortunate in that regard that um, I'm going to go to a little quieter location. The guys are mowing the lawns here. Okay, um, no worries. So, so, <laughs> so fortunate that you know, the work we do is really 100% passion-driven. Yeah. Uh, as Chip and I say, none of this, what we do is 100% unnecessary. We're not <laughs> feeding babies. We're not putting ropes over people's heads. So what we do really, it's, it's business. We're passion-driven, but we're business-based. Um, Chip and I always say that 100% what we do is unnecessary. <laughs> um, yes. But, you know, it is passion-driven. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, I look at your website and I look at your client list and it's the who's who in the car industry and a lot of fun names there and amazing things. Uh, very, very cool. Well, here's a very introspective question for Carson. If you were a vehicle, what would you be and why? I, I would have to go back and say I'd be a Dino. 
Ah, uh, going that back to that old Dino. Dentist. Yeah, the dentist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my doctor had a Dino. I thought if I was going to, I thought that's the only way I'd ever get one. To me, it was the most beautiful, sophisticated, elegant car I'd ever seen. It just had this shape and form that was so well resolved. Yes. I mean, down to the door handles, the way they're integrated into the trim and the door, just everything about it. I'd, I'd be that. And now here's a juxtaposition. Or I'd be an old, early style front engine dragster from the sixties, because that's what got me hooked on drag racing, which has been one of my longest standing passions. I'd be one of the two. How's that for too far? You're, you're pretty far in the other extremes. I remember as a kid, my dad taking me up to orange County raceway, the drag strip there. And when nothing was in Orange County except for Orange Fields and that raceway, pretty yep. much, right? You know, and Lion yeah, Country Safari. Sand Canyon. Yeah. Yep. Lines of uh, Sand Canyon. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. Well, that's, that's some extreme, Carson, but you're kind of a broad, varied guy. So I think that kind of makes sense. I understand. Very nice. <laughs> well, Carson, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. What's the worst thing for your car's interior? No, it's not that milkshake the kids spilled in the back seat. It's the sun. Harmful UV rays cook your automobile's interior hour after hour when it's parked outside, even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install, stay where you put them, and are custom pattern for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. Hey, this is Mark Green. Are you interested in selling online and building a sustainable business? Bonanza is a marketplace platform that empowers you to create your dream business. Getting started at Bonanza is easy. You can start fresh or import your items from other marketplaces like Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or Shopify. Auto parts and accessories are a high-performance category at Bonanza, and there's no risk involved in signing up. There are no listing fees or monthly fees. You pay only when you make the sale. Bonanza listens to seller feedback and uses it to improve tools and build new features, so there are tons of customization options for sellers no matter what the size of your business. Be sure to sign up using the link bonanza.com slash cars yeah and you'll receive a free consultation with Bonanza experts who make sure that you are on your way to generating sales. That's bonanza.com slash cars yeah. We are back and we're entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions, kind of a lightning round and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that Dino or that dragster throttle without uh, tearing okay. up the tearing up the uh, the transmission or anything. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Um, I would think uh, basically work from passion. You know, yeah. If you're not excited about this business, you should just stay in bed. Oh, God. I mean, really, if you can't get excited about this business, something's wrong. Yeah, go do something else. That's for sure. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? 
Um, I'm that balance between tenacity and passion. And so as far as tenacity, tenacity in my world, you know, we hear no a lot. We make a lot of presentations. We hear no. And I tell people all the time, number one, no is the second best answer in the world. It's not <laughs> yes, but it's the second best answer. Yes. But there are three levels of no. There is no, there's hell no, and there's get the blank out of my office. <laughs> okay. I, I usually don't go to that third one. Yeah. But you've got to, it's like riding a bike. Sometimes you learn to ride a bike because it's fun and it's controlled and it's wanderlust and it's being able to move around. And sometimes you learn to ride a bike because you're tired of scraping your knees. Mm. All I care is that you learn. And what we do in that process sometimes on projects, we scrape our knees. Sometimes it goes forward because it's fun and it's engaging. People get it. When you're working from passion-driven, people have to share your passion or understand that there's something to it. But if it's just passion, there's not business, you're going to fail. So again, we say we're passion-driven, we're business-based. Love it. Now, how about a resource? There are so many great resources these days. Is there one that you'd like to share that you enjoy? Well, I, I'm on you know the, the website, and I'm at racism events all the time. And when I go to car shows, my, my wife always laughs because I'll go to a car show or an event, a little local one, or I'll go to the drags or go to SEMA, and my wife will say, well, are you going for work? Are you going for fun? And I always tell her, <laughs> I'll tell you when I come back. I go to SEMA. It's like a high school reunion. I, I went to the first SEMA that was under the bleachers at Dodger Stadium when I was in, in like fifth grade. Holy cow. Wow. Before it was even called SEMA. Yeah. Uh, he needed somebody to hold a box of parts. He was in a Jeep club and he was taking his parts down there and didn't even rattle around. So I got to ride with him. Wow. And so it, it really ends up being that thing that's been a lifelong passion for me. So, mm-hmm. and then repeat the question again. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, resources. And I think SEMA is an awesome resource. I mean, I've had many people, including Wade Kawasaki, who's director there now, but on this show, but yeah, but uh, yeah, SEMA is an awesome resource for everything in the automotive industry. And the other one too, beyond SEMA and the institutional and, and, and the aspects of resources, information and guidance and, and, and forums is, is I always tell people find a mentor, be a mentor. Mm, um, yes. I was lucky that I had so many people that mentored me early on from Wally Parks at NHRA to Ed Roth, Kenny Youngblood teaching me how to letter. Be a mentor or find a mentor. It's only through passing things down that this hobby is going to survive and, right. and, and allow them to redefine it in the way that works for them instead of saying, why are our kids building 32 Fords today? Come on, doggone it. You know, it's like, right. you know, for in the 80s, you know, Honda Civics were their 32 Fords. Now we've got a new generation. Yes. So, Great idea. Great suggestion. Now, if I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be? Boy, that's a tough one. I thought about that. There's so many guys. I probably, even though he's a huge influence on me, I never really sat down and had a drink with him. Probably Wally Parks. Mm, Nice. Um, Probably Wally Parks, the founder of NHRA. Um, I didn't realize until years later that when Wally wrote your little notes, I didn't realize he wrote those notes to everybody. Um, I first met him on the starting line at Lions Drag Strip when I walked past a line that I wasn't supposed to because it was under 16. And this is before they were sanctioned by the NHRA. NHRA. They were looking to come back. And Pappy Hart was a track manager at that time. And mm-hmm. gosh, Mickey Thompson was a track manager. There's another big influence oh, on me when oh, I was gosh. a kid. He, yeah. he let me wash his cars and bought me a burger. And he was just a huge influence on me. But wow. I probably want me, I you know, I'd be a toss up, toss up between Mickey Thompson because he was taken from us too soon. Yeah. And he was an early influence on me at Lions when he was a track manager and, and probably Wally Parks because they both had great insight. They both were very accomplished. They both were very multidisciplinary. So, I mean, if you look at what they did, they had, they covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Uh, very well said. And Mickey's son was a guest here on the show a couple of years ago yeah. and talked about the book and their story and his story. So, man, you met everybody, Carson. This is cool. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would really enjoy and, and learn some things from? You know, it's funny, they're non-automotive subjects, That's but they're okay. more management. 
one of the good ones is the tipping point. And oh, the tipping yeah. point has to do with aspects of things in our lives or programs or projects or process that get to the point and the consequences occur because of just a landslide effect, because of things being out of balance. Yeah. And I like that because I'm one of those guys that if it ain't broke, I break it. If mm-hmm. it ain't broke, I feel like I'm not pushing it hard enough. Right. And the tipping point kind of talks about when things get to a certain point that things cascade and all fall together. Yes. Sometimes you need to force those things to happen, force you into action. Because I've always, I, I teach at the university, I told students many times that indecision in anything is hitting the tree that's in the fork in the road. <laughs> yes. Even if you make, even if you make a bad decision, you can back the car up and come back down the right road. If you're smart enough, you'll know soon it's a bad decision. Right. You'll learn from that. But yeah, the tipping point is that process of just forcing things into a resolution or, or things going to that resolution because you're not ready. And, but the imbalance caused that, you know, offset to make things just slide off the table, so to speak. Sure, sure. Yeah, great book by Malcolm Gladwell. He's written so many cool books, but Tipping Point's one of my favorites as well. Nice. Well, listeners, you can find all these cool resources Carson shared on his Carja show notes page. Just go to Carja.com, type in Carson Lev, L-E-V, and that page will pop up, including links to the Tipping Point. And geez, over 1,200, I think, books I have listed there now under the Resources Guide for Guest Recommended Books. Some awesome reading for any car person's library. All right, Carson, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you any car on the planet, any cool car that exists, doesn't matter where it is, what it costs, I'm getting it put for you, I'm going to put it in your garage. And uh, But there's a couple rules. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. You got to drive it and enjoy it. No garage queens here at Cars, yeah. So what's it going to be? What can I buy you? You're going to think I'm going to say a Dino Ferrari and I'm going to switch it up. Okay. The car that got me hooked on drag racing was from friends of uh, of mine when I went through uh, junior high school and high school. And the car was a, a front engine dragster. It was a purple car. It was called the Purple Gang. It was wrapped Rossi and Mondanello. It was driven by Gary Gablich for a while. Tom McEwen, who we just lost the other day. Uh, drove it for a while. It was a full-bodied front-engine dragster that had this very signature rear swept-up full-body panel. had twin chutes on it. Uh, Larry Rapp built the motor. Uh, you know, and the, the team was phenomenal. That car, I, w- I was lucky. I grew up in Lakewood, uh, so I went to church with the Moody Hams who made Moody Ham blowers, the old 871 GMC blowers. They made their own. Right. They had a, they got a lot of race cars in the 5554 coupe. But the Purple Gang, in fact, I even had a model commissioned of it. That car really got me. I was already hooked on drag racing, but that just cleated me in so deep. The car was lost. Uh, it was sold. It was turned into a sand rail. It was crashed and burned. They've been trying to find this car because there's a big deal now going on with you know these guys who find the front engine cars and PD Swift and these guys who recreate these and build them and restore them. Sure. I would not only have that car, I'd drive that car. <laughs> I used to sit in that car in Paul's backyard in junior high and high school and do make-believe runs down the drag strip. And so later when I got my drag racing license, I had a flashback to that car. So that, that, that'd that wow. be the car. Oh, my gosh. Well, Hot Wheels did a model of that, right? Yes, they did. Yeah. It wasn't a complete recreation. It actually was a recast of the Greer Black Padome car that Tom ha- or Don had. And that's okay. that's another two guys that I'll just throw in here real quick. Yeah. Having first met Don and Tom when I was 12 years old at Lions. I would work my way up from the guy who would you know, wipe down an oily oil pan or clean a part to wiping it down to walking up to the starting line and wiping the oil out of the breathers. And those guys were funny, but they were very kind to me and, and they would tease me a lot. And I mean, Tom was the one who had me running through 
the pits looking for a left-handed valve straightener. <laughs> um, I came back with a project, part that somebody, some parts that was thrown together. Somebody gave me as a practical joke to play the joke back on. Yeah, Tom. back on and him. Tom looked I, at it. I found one. Yeah, I held it in my hand. I was so proud. I found this thing. Yeah. I brought it back to him and Tom looked at me in a one word and one sentence. He goes, kid, do you know your right hand from your left? <laughs> Meaning. Yeah. So, I mean, just like a, you know, like a scavenger hunt. Of course. Of course. John and Tom are great guys. And then again, working with them at Hot Wheels and being able to bring that back to the brand was was just a joy and Tom was uh, always a great guy to me you know he's yeah. a little cranky at times you know but he was always a great guy to me yeah nice nice stories awesome well Carson you've taken us on a great ride today I knew you would I've really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the car shout listeners could you offer us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you pull up to that Christmas tree in the purple gang and make a run <laughs> Well, yeah, it's equal parts. You've got to have, you know, some focus, but you've got to have some passion. You have to make a business sense of this thing of your life. And, you know, if, if you're, I've always said that if my hobby caused my family stress, it's not the right hobby. Mm. If my hobby gives my family new insight into me and provides new opportunities and allows them to do fun things, then that's a good hobby. And so yeah. we've always tried to structure my passion in a way that it added to the family, didn't take away from it. But the car thing has been a constant thing for me. Um, you know, the advice is again, I just go back to the passion thing, you know, live your life with passion, but try to make a business sense out of it. And yep. there's ways to do that more oh, so yeah. now than ever before. Yeah. Well, I've had a thousand sixty six guests here on Cars Yeah that have explained just how to do that. And you're part of the alumni now. So thank you so much for sharing that wisdom. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about Redfin Productions and you? Um, you can go to my Facebook page under Redfin and Redfin is spelled R-E-D-P-H-I-N. Yep. Uh, the Redfin with the F is the real estate guys, and people often mistake me and think that I have all that money, and I don't. Um, so we're we're R E D P H I N, and so go. I've got a, a Facebook page. We've got a website that's you know Redfin dot com, uh, and there's some stories in there and some stuff put up. And then also, you know, our job is to represent our clients, and so sometimes we'll get a little recognition of things we put forward for our clients, but you know, mostly we we handle their business and promote their business more than we promote ours. Right. Absolutely. Well, listeners. You can find everything that you need to find out about Carson Lev and Redfin on his show notes page at the Cars Yow website, including some links. So check out what he's up to. Check out what he's doing. Follow him on Facebook and all the social media. I think you'll have a, as much fun as Carson's having or close to it. So thank you for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks for having me. Thank you. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage, and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Dot com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. You take care of your cars, 
But who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.